to today's you know, church life and, and, and the work of, of, of planting and helping churches to grow. When you study this, one thing that you notice is Paul's remarkable ability to preach and to teach to non-believers. He was especially adept at communicating to people who were not believers in any sense of the word, introduced to them the gospel. From pagans to hostile Jews, Paul had a way of talking and communicating the gospel to these people. In 1 Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, we get a glimpse of Paul's way of approaching and speaking to non-believers. Now, in Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 6, which is just you know one book behind here, Paul said that our speech should be salted with grace so as to know how to respond to each person. That our speech should be salted with grace so that we should know how to respond to each person. Well, in 1 Thessalonians, he goes ahead to demonstrate how we can salt our speech so that we can communicate effectively with others about our faith. You know, um, Brother Harold here, we had an elders meeting this afternoon, one of the things he was saying is uh, he, he's the elder responsible for uh, working with evangelism program in the, in the congregation. And he was saying that uh, part of his work, part of his area, is to kind of uh, recruit people to go out and visit and have personal Bible studies and so on and so forth. And we asked him, how many people out of the 400 people we have here, how many people checked off in their little, in their little boxes, you know, the involvement sheets, how many people signed up to go visit people? And he said, eight. Eight out of 400. Now, it's not going to be a lesson, you know, whipping everybody because you didn't sign up. But it does show you that going out to visit people, pretty scary thing. Pretty intimidating going out. Not having necessarily a Bible study. This was to get people from our own congregation to go visit other people from our own congregation. People who had been sick maybe and had been absent, maybe a little negligent in their attendance. We need to go visit those folks and say, is everything okay? Can we do something to help you? Well, you know, there's 400 people. Elders can't get to all those people. They need help. And eight signed up to do that. Now, there may be more, but so far we've only counted about eight or nine people have done that. Well, being effective in sharing our faith requires not only a willingness to sign up, not only a willingness to actually go out and do it, but it also requires that we salt all of our speech with grace. Not just that we know the facts. You know, not just that we know the fact, well, you need to believe, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, you need to confess Christ. You know, not just the facts about our religion. I mean, you've got to know the facts, obviously. But you also have to be able to give an example of how to do the facts. And you also have to be able to speak, as it were, with your speech salted with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just what you say, it's what? It's how you say it. It's how you say it. And so, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul gives us a good idea of how to say things. How to speak to other people about the gospel. And I would say, even go further than that, how to speak to our own brothers and sisters about, you know, being faithful, about 
you know, dealing with their problems, so on and so forth. I think there's a rich, uh, uh, a rich vein of, of, of material here uh, to uh, help us to know how to speak to others about Christ and His church. So I want you to open to 1 Thessalonians. This is going to be a textual lesson, and we're going to stay within the text. I'm going to go through the verses. I want you to read those along with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. While you're flipping around finding that, let me give you a little background about Thessalonians, the book of Thessalonians. Thessalonians, of course, were the people who lived in Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a wealthy city in the province of Macedonia in northern Greece. Paul came here after being imprisoned in Philippi. Remember the Philippian jailer, and there was a riot, and they put him in jail, and so on and so forth. And then finally the jail, you know, an earthquake came, and he was released, and, and he went on, and he went to Thessalonica. It was just uh, a little further away. Now, when he went to Thessalonica, he had a lot of success. And by the way, that city still exists today. You can still visit Thessalonica today. Well, he had a lot of success, and he planted a church there very, very quickly. But soon after he was there, once again, he was run out of town by a mob, an angry mob. Now, the young church that he planted there continued to grow despite their brief, uh, despite, excuse me, his brief stay. Later on, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how they were doing. And when Tim Timothy came back, he reported to Paul that these people, despite the persecution that they were under, despite the fact they didn't have a lot of teaching, were doing pretty good. They were remaining faithful to the, to the Lord. But Timothy also reported that because of their lack of teaching, they were having several problems. For example, some of them were succumbing to sexual immorality. And others were worried that when Jesus returned, he would not take with him the Christians who had already died. They were worried about that. They didn't have any teaching about what would happen at the end of the world. They thought when Jesus returned, he'd only come and take the ones who were alive, and that was it. The ones who were dead, they'd just stay in the ground. So they were kind of worried about that idea. Well, to this news, Paul writes them, and he encourages them, of course, to be pure in their lifestyle, what they say and what they do, it's very important that they have pure speech and pure actions. And he also tells them that they need to be faithful. And he provides teaching uh, about the end of the world uh, that he had not yet given to them because he was forced to leave so soon. Now, it is in his task, or excuse me, in his talk to these young Christians that we get a good example of salted speech. We read his letter and we get an idea of what it means to have salted speech, to incorporate into our own communication today to non-Christians, to new Christians, to mature Christians, to unfaithful Christians, to everyone in the household of faith. How should we speak one to another? And so I'd like to share those with you, some ideas that we pick up in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, concerning salted speech. First of all, in uh, verses 1 and 2, he says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you uh, the gospel of God amid much opposition. Well, the first thing, the first thing we see about his speech is that he spoke positively. Positive speech, one to another. Not negative speech. I get so tired of hearing negative speech. We're not going to make it. This isn't good. Blah, blah, blah. You know? 
He spoke positively. And you know what? Even though he had been beat up in Philippi and thrown in jail, he kept a positive attitude in approaching this new set of hearers. He could have been down. You know, the people of that region treated him real bad. But he didn't let that get him down. When he arrived in Thessalonica, he had a positive spirit. He had good news to preach. He didn't let his past experiences spoil his future efforts. You know, sometimes when our uh, offers to other people to attend worship are kind of turned away, and sometimes we keep inviting somebody to study with us, and they reject that, we kind of become discouraged, and we start being negative in our thinking. We start thinking, ah, this is never going to work. I don't know why, you know, we ever, I don't even know why I ever tried. Why ever signed up for this job? Why ever even, you know, why did I ever volunteer to do this thing? Nobody appreciates what I'm doing. Eh? You ever get that feeling? Paul shows that every new contact has the potential for believing and becoming a true disciple of Jesus. For this reason, he and we need to remain positive. I think, I think of Brother Lewis, you know, all the hours and hours I spent driving around with him, visiting folks and so on and so forth. He always had a positive, and I'm talking to you like you're gone, Lewis, but he's still here. <laughs> always had a positive attitude. I remember he'd tell me the night before he had had like three people he was supposed to visit, three people who said they'd be home, new contacts, Bible studies, and he'd tell me, you know, the first one, well, wasn't even home for him to go there. And they told him, come at seven. They weren't even there. The second one, a big dog in the yard, about to eat him up. Wouldn't even let him close to the door. The third set, you know, uh, they said that I'll be there for the Bible study and only one person would be a Bible study. And he said, well, I don't feel like it this week. Come back next week, you know. And then we'd go out the next day and I'd say, well, how was your evening? And he'd tell me about that. And I'd say, how do you feel about that? He said, well, today's a new day. Today's a new day. Got a new contact today. If I didn't get them this week, I'll get them next week. Eventually, if they allow me to, I'll preach the gospel to them. That kind of tenacity, that kind of positive thinking is what built this church right here into what it is. Many of you know because many of you have studied with Brother Lewis. and Many of you were baptized because of his tenaciousness and his positive attitude. Well, we look at verses 2b. It says, 2 and 3 and 4, he says, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our heart. Paul not only spoke positively, he also spoke confidently. He suffered at setbacks, but when he came to Thessalonica, he spoke confidently about the gospel. He was confident because the message was from God, not man, and their commission was from God, not mere human. It was God that sent him to preach the gospel, not a human being. I want to tell you, if Paul had just been sent out by human beings, he would have been defeated within the first year. I mean, he got beat up and put in jail, and he, you know, even some of his own countrymen turned against him, bit enough to discourage anybody. But he knew that the message was from God and the commission was from God, and every time he got up to speak, he spoke boldly, because his attitude was not based on how people treated him, his attitude was based on who had sent him. That's what his attitude was based on. You know, every time we share our faith, 
Every time we invite somebody to come to church, every time we defend our beliefs, every time we publicly confess Christ, and you know, I want to make a parenthetical statement, I'm so proud, I don't know who you are, but I am so proud of the young people who are members of this church who took the time to go hear Vince preach. I don't know if you know, but our youth family minister uh, uh, was the guest speaker at Choctaw High, uh, you know, uh, meet you around the pole, that kind of evangelistic thing that's... And they invited him to speak, and he said there were over 100 kids that came on that day. And he says, among those 100, there were many of our own youth group that was there. And I'm so proud of you, whoever you are. didn't give me all the names. I'm so proud of you if you went there and you had the guts to stand up for Jesus Christ in your own high school. God bless you. That's a wonderful thing. You showed boldness. And the next time it comes around, I hope that all of our young people will have the courage to confess Christ before their before their classmates. Well, every time we do this, we show that our confidence is in God and our confidence is in His Word and not in man and not in this world. And every time we do these things, we're acting as God's agent in speaking the gospel. I want to tell you, every time you invite your sister-in-law, your neighbor or somebody to come to church with you, you are acting on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that. You are His ambassadors to do these things. You have a holy commission. You have a holy job to do. And when you do that, you're doing it on behalf of God. Do it with boldness. Do it with confidence. Remember, you're not doing it of yourselves. You're doing it because God has sent you. Thirdly, we see in verse 5 and 6 that Paul spoke honestly. Gracious speech, speech seasoned with salt, is honest speech. Verse 5, he says, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. You know, in those days, there were a lot of roving, traveling orators, you know, traveling preachers. And they would preach anything that was going on in those days. You know, if there was a hot new philosophy, boy, they were out there making speeches about this hot new philosophy. And they'd go from town to town and they'd debate the best debater on the latest philosophy or the latest religion. And then they'd collect money. You know, that was how they made a living. They went from place to place, you know, to, you know, uh, rent a debater. You know, they would go from town to town doing this. And they would do it not only for money, but for fame. Who is the top gun? Who is the top speaker? Paul says this was not their method. There was no show, no tricks, no ego trips. Just the simple gospel preached for free by sincere men. Well, today the same approach is the best. We don't need theatrics. We don't need emotional tricks to get people to obey Jesus. We just need the simple truth preached and lived honestly. If we do that, that'll do That'll do the job. A lot of times we preach the truth, but you know the problem? We don't live the truth. We don't live the truth. We wonder, why, why is my brother-in-law not, you know, not getting it? Maybe he hears it, but he just doesn't see it. Verse 7 and 9, speaking graciously, he says, But we prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. 
For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul's speech was loving. You know, he spoke honestly, he spoke boldly, and he also spoke lovingly. Paul's time there and his work there was done while he supported himself. Now he says, as an apostle, I had a right for you to support me. Because the Bible says, if you earn your living preaching the word, teaching the word, ministering the word, you have a right to be supported. He says, I had a right, I had a biblical, godly right to expect for you to support me. But he didn't do it. And he didn't do it for several reasons. He didn't do it because he didn't want to burden such a young church financially. That's why we support missionaries. Why do you think we partially support uh, the caves in Brazil? Because we don't want that young church in Vitoria to have the burden of supporting their preacher. So for a certain amount of time, we're going to support uh, uh, their preacher until they're old enough and strong enough to be able to support their own person. Same thing. Why does Edmund support Roger and Diane Saumur? Because they're waiting for the church in Montreal to grow and to be strong enough and mature enough to take on that responsibility themselves. Paul didn't want to set a precedent so others would come and take money from the church. So he says, hey, if I can preach for free, you people can come and preach for free as well. And he didn't want them to stumble in their faith. You know, having worked as a missionary, not only just studied it, but having worked at it for many years in other countries, I can tell you that one of the biggest problems in a young church, one of the most sensitive issues, is money. I mean, it's a sensitive issue in a mature church like us, But it really is, yeah, Roger's shaking his head. You better believe it's a very sensitive issue in a young church where the money goes. How come we're preaching a guy, we're paying a guy to preach, you know? It takes a long time for people to understand this biblical principle. People don't believe in the love of God until they see an example of it. And Paul showed them. He says, I'll show you how much I love you. I'll preach to you. I'll support you. I'll serve you for nothing. That was one way that he showed his love. People won't believe your message until they see you living that message. And the one who brings the gospel is usually the one they depend on to show them an example of God's love. You know, I want to tell you something. When you invite somebody to church, right, it's not a handoff. You understand the football principle? Quarterback is the ball, handoff. Some people think it's a handoff. Their job is to bring the person to church. And once they get them inside the building, they hand them off to the preacher. (laughs) Here's my mother. Okay, mom, this is the preacher. Preacher, this is my mother. All right, go ahead, convert her. (laughs) It's not the way it works. When we bring people here, hopefully the entire church will surround that person with love, with teaching, with encouragement, with support, with a witness. But the primary responsibility belongs to whom? It belongs to you. I'll preach them and I'll teach them and the elders will visit them and you know, we'll support them, we'll encourage them. You know, but in the end, they're looking to you for the example of love, the example of purity, the example of faithfulness that will ultimately bring them down that aisle and into that, into that water. In verse 10, we see that Paul spoke not only lovingly, but he spoke sincerely. 
He says, you are witnesses and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. You see, Paul's holy message was amplified and confirmed by his conduct. And he uses three interesting Greek words to explain his conduct. First he says, devoutly. He acted devoutly, and that word means to be totally committed to living within the teachings of the truth. Here is the truth, it's a box. To be devout is to be committed to living within that box. He says we lived or we acted uprightly. In other words, his conduct was pure. His conduct was correct according to God's word. What he said and how he worked and his worship All of it was according to God's word. And the interesting thing in in, in winning people to Christ, what they do is they look at what you teach them and then they look at what you do. And they look at what you teach them and they look at what you do. And what they're looking for is some kind of inconsistency. It's not fair, it's sometimes not easy, but that's what is. And a lot of times when people recognize they have to give up their sins or give up their life in order to follow Jesus Christ, they're looking for a way out. They're in denial. Oh no, I'm going to have to give up this. Or oh no, I'm going to have to do that. Or oh no, I'm going to have to deny myself. And they want out. And you know who they choose? Sometimes they choose you as the out. Well, I mean, if she's not going to do it, why should I do it? Or if they don't believe in it any more than that, why should I? You know what the saddest thing I've ever seen? The saddest thing is when somebody shows up here, a visitor, and you shake hands with them, and hello, blah, 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 nice to have you. To the, who are, I always say, who are you connected to? Who are you related to? You, is this, are you a cousin of somebody? They say, no, so-and-so invited me, and so-and-so's not here. <laughs> That's pretty tough. And so-and-so invited you, and so-and-so's not here. That's pretty tough. Pretty tough to convince them that you're ready to follow Christ, you're ready to give your life up for Christ. Pretty tough. People don't believe in the love of God until they see an example of it in you. And then he uses the word blamelessly. He lived devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly. He had a good reputation. No one could accuse him of anything. Yeah, I go to Willie's football game. Scored a touchdown, by the way, last last time. I want to brag about that. Real happy about that. They called it back, but it was a bad call, I'm sure. I go to the football game, and sometimes go to the football game. You know what? I see people in the church saying things, doing things that ought not to be saying and doing. I see people saying and doing things, you know that they ought not to be doing. I've been in places where I have been eating in a restaurant and a brother comes in with a group of others from his or her work. It's happened both ways. And they were embarrassed that I was there. They weren't happy that I was there because their language... And whatever, if they smoke or drink beer with their meals, I was going to ruin their lunch. Because they could not do while I was there the things that they were going to do while I was not there. Because I was a silent witness to their worldliness. Brothers and sisters, we have to walk blamelessly. 
So no one can accuse us. And you, the last thing in the world I want is someone to use me as an excuse not to believe in Jesus. Non-Christians, unfortunately, are very quick to notice inconsistencies in the lives of Christians. So we need to understand that our actions speak as loudly or even more loudly than our words. Very quickly, as we end up the lesson, verse 11 and 12, we see that Paul also spoke patiently. He says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He spoke lovingly, he spoke positively, he spoke patiently. Notice how he continued to speak to these people. He exhorted them to, 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 uh, 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 to encourage them to be obedient. He encouraged them, which means to motivate them. He implored them, which is mean to beseech, almost to beg people. You know, this morning I said, I beg you, I implore you. That's what he was doing. He was begging them. Paul kept after them even after their conversion. He maintained a dialogue with them in order to help them to grow. You know, if you've ever done any personal work, you know that not everybody gets it right away. You ever notice that? (laughs) Not everybody gets it right away. I wish. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you go in, teach one lesson, all right, need to believe, repent, be baptized, and the person says, oh, is that it? Okay, let's go to the water. And then the following Sunday, they were at church, and they were at church every Wednesday, every Sunday, every Sunday night, and then they came up to the elders and said, well, I'm ready. How much money do we need to give here? And uh, where do I start to work? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But it doesn't work like that, doesn't it? We know this is not the way that it happens. It takes years to win people to Christ. And the walk of faith has its ups and its downs. And those who teach and lead need to be patient in order to permit people the time to grow. Roger here has been working 10 years with this congregation and he's seen people quit the church two and three times and come back and be restored and then quit again and leave and come back and quit and leave and come back. Some even tried to go off and start other churches and then found out that, you know, they were going astray and shut that down and come back and and be restored again. We've spent long hours on the phone late at night, you know. Me telling him, hang in there, hang in there, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Not everybody is going to get it. But you know what? Some do. Some do. There are some Rogers. You know what I'm saying? And there are some Bobbies and Johnnies. And right now I could go through all the names right here. Yeah, There's some Christines and then some Chucks and there's some Mikes. And, you know, there's some of... We see the importance of being faithful to all the worship services and to give and to serve. Some do. And the ones that do, believe me, make up for the ones that don't. Our job is not to judge or get mad. Our job is to speak patiently. Be patient. Be patient. Give people a chance. Certainly I'm in that category I was only baptized when I was 30, only figured out my ministry by the time I was 33, only went to college by the time I was 35. I was a late bloomer. Be patient. And then finally, the last verse, verse 13, he says, 
And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Paul spoke, above all else, he spoke with authority. The people Paul spoke to were impressed and responded accordingly. They repented and they were baptized because of what reason? He spoke with authority. The purpose of our speech is to win souls, to bring people to the point of obedience to God's word. That's why I preach. You think I get up here to preach just because I like the sound of my own voice? Well, sometimes I have to confess, yes. (laughs) But most of the time, I want to see people repent. I want to see growth. I want to see people say, I love God. You know why I do this job and I continue year after year? It's because I love to see the transformation in people's lives who at one time hated God and then all of a sudden begin to love God. That's the thing. That's the reward. To see people who did not have time for Christ all of a sudden give their times to Christ. That's the reward. And in order to do this, we must speak with authority. The authority that says that if one obeys God's word, the blessings are sure. And if one disobeys God's word, the punishment is sure. And all of you who are believers, and all of you who have come to Christ, and all of you who have obeyed Him, have the same authority as I or the elders. To speak with authority to those who need to hear God's message. People without Christ are lost, and they are in search of the truth, They are not impressed with people who are unsure and wishy-washy about the gospel. Leading someone to Christ means just that. Leading. You lead. That's our job. We lead. And leading with authority based on a conviction that the gospel is true and applies to everyone. I'm not sure about a lot of things, but I I will stake my life on the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. For that I will die. Please, God, don't put me to the test. But I want to know that I could die for that truth. Well, from training and study and 18 years of practical experience, I'm fully convinced that the number one method of evangelism is when one member speaks to a friend or a co-worker or a student buddy or a family member about Jesus Christ. When a Christian invites a neighbor to worship or share in a small group activity. That's the number one method of evangelism. I know that from experience and from study and from training. And one reason why we are renovating our building is to make it more pleasant. That's true. To make it more convenient. But to make it pleasant and more convenient to do what? To bring your friends here. To bring your family here. To hear the gospel. To be taught in our classes to be part of our youth group. That's why we're doing this. This building will not convert souls, but having a larger, more comfortable class, having a more functional auditorium, providing better facilities to train and teach, hopefully will make it easier for you to do the work of evangelism. And so as we close our lesson tonight, just a few reminders on how to do this. You know, I said speak with grace and speak with grace about evangelism. A couple of tips about that. First, if you don't have a prospect, ask God to provide a prospect for you. You know, it's amazing how God will use you to lead somebody to Christ if you just ask Him. If you don't seek and if you don't ask, 
you won't find. Secondly, use different approaches. Some use Jewel Miller, others invite to services, others find it comfortable in sharing their own life, their own conversion experience. In the end, the goal is to bring them face to face with Jesus and his gospel, whether it's through a Bible study, a class, a youth group, a worship service. Remember, your goal is that they hear the gospel. And the best method is the one that will get them there. And then finally, remember how you speak. And that was what my lesson was about tonight. Remember how you speak. You are Christ's ambassador. You are Christ's witness. You are the messenger. So be careful how you speak. Make sure your speech is salted graciously with positive enthusiasm and confidence and honesty and love and sincerity and patience and the authority of one who knows what he or she is talking about. And if you speak in this way, regardless of how the person responds to you, you will be a good and a faithful servant. Let's take seriously our responsibility to speak to others about Christ, and let's also pay attention to Jesus when he speaks to us about our own salvation. Whether it's the preacher calling on you to repent and be baptized, whether it's an elder or some other member encouraging you to be more faithful or to become a Christian, whether it's your own conscience being provoked by the Holy Spirit to confess your, your lies and your other sins, whatever it is, these are all the ways that the Lord may be speaking to you tonight. If the Lord is speaking to your heart through this message or in some other way and you need to respond to him, we've chosen a song, please respond as we stand and as we sing.